A front-end developer issuing a query to a back-end server typically requires that developer to issue that query through an ORM or a raw database query. Prisma is an alternative to both of these data access patterns, allowing for easier data access through auto-generated, type-safe query building tailored to an existing database schema. By integrating with Prisma, the developer gets a database client that has query auto-completion and an API server with less boilerplate code. Prisma also has a system called Prisma Migrate, which simplifies database and schema migrations. Johannes Schickling is CEO of Prisma, and he joins the show to talk about the developments of Prisma that have occurred since we last spoke, and where the company is headed. If you want to reach 30,000 unique engineers every day, consider sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Whether you are hiring engineers or selling a product to engineers, Software Engineering Daily is a great place to reach talented engineers. You can send me an email, jeff at Software Engineering Daily, if you are curious about sponsoring the podcast. And we're also looking for writers and a videographer. If you're great with video or you're a great writer and you want to write about software, then send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Johannes, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jeff. It's great to be back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. You run Prisma, and Prisma is involved in workflows for accessing data. Can you describe the APIs that sit between the front-end and the back-end database layer and where Prisma fits in? Sure. So I think that's a pretty complex question since it always depends on what your application architecture looks like. And there are so many angles to take this. If we, for example, take a more modern Jamstack architecture or if you take a microservices architecture, the answer here is always it depends. What's always the same is if you build an application that requires data persistence, then chances are you're using a database. And how Prisma fits into that is that it tries to help application developers build applications more easily with working with their databases. So typically, that means you're using a part of Prisma, what's called the Prisma client, that sits typically in your application server. That's typically an API server and talks to your database. Typically, this part of the stack is known as an ORM layer or a data access layer. Prisma in particular is not an ORM. We can talk about that separately. That's a pretty nuanced topic, but Prisma typically, the main function is to serve to access data more easily in your application language. Can you talk about that in more detail? Like, why would I need a additional layer of access? I mean, I think in general, I if I'm sitting on the front end and I want to access the database, I am hitting some service, that service is talking to a database and the service is requesting the data from the database. Why do I need Prisma to help out with that database access? So in, in this setup, just to recap one more time, so you have your front-end application, let's say you have like React app, a Vue app. On the other end, you have a database. Let's say you have a more traditional Postgres, MySQL database, but would also apply the same for more modern DynamoDB, etc. And then typically you have this middle tier that's, let's say, an API server. And where you would use Prisma for 
is just having an easier time building your API server in order to talk to the database. So let's say you're using Postgres. The most bare bone thing you could do is implementing your API server and just writing, implementing your endpoints, or let's say you're building a GraphQL server, implementing your resolvers, and then just talking directly to the database by writing raw SQL queries. And that works, but that comes also with some problems, typically in terms of productivity and like that it's not quite the abstraction level that you want as an application developer to be productive and confident in what you're writing. In the same way as front-end applications are built through abstraction layers, let's say React, Angular, Vue, it's the same on the backend that you also want a more application idiomatic abstraction layer for the way how you're talking to the database. And historically, there's been many forms of that. The most common one is an ORM. And there are more modern ways of how you build a better abstraction on top of your database for data access. And that's a pattern that we're implementing with Prisma that's typically referred to as a query builder. Can you explain in more detail what is the difference between a query builder and an ORM? Right. So that comes down to the way how you're thinking about these application patterns. An ORM stands for Object Relational Mapper. And the idea behind an ORM is mapping a typically a database table to a class in a typically object-oriented programming language. And this is a pretty intuitive model and is widely used in tons of ORMs, the most prominent one probably being Active Record as part of Ruby on Rails, but there are tons of other ones as well. In the Java world, there's Hibernate. And the idea there is you have tons of tables in your database, and you want to map that somehow into your programming language. In your programming language, you're typically working with classes. As opposed to a query builder, which looks a lot more like SQL in a certain way, but maps these SQL statements into statements in your program language. And the differences really come down to how much flexibility and control you need. But there are tons of downsides of ORMs that, as ORMs got more widely used, became more and more well-known. So there's a great blog post called the Vietnam of Computer Science which is all about ORMs and the problems behind ORMs. Most importantly, there's one thing called the object relational impedance mismatch, which talks about the problems of mapping databases, database tables to, to objects, where there's just a big amount of, of an impedance mismatch. And the way around that is that you should rather think about the queries that you're writing to your database instead of obsessing too much about the classes and the objects. And your query should really determine the shape of the data you're getting back in the same way as it's a pretty striking analogy to how GraphQL deals with this sort of pattern, where GraphQL is all about the query that you're writing that you need in your components. And it's a pretty similar pattern that you're now applying the way how you do data access on the backend. If I was to set up Prisma for my application, what would the life of a query look like and the structure of a query look like? So what you'd be using concretely there is Prisma overall is a database toolkit. And what you would use to query a database is a part of Prisma called the Prisma Client 
The Prisma client is basically just a JavaScript library that you install from NPM. And you're basically writing that query once in your code. One great advantage is that it's fully type safe by leveraging TypeScript. So you're writing that query and then throughout runtimes when your application is deployed, that code gets invoked. That under the hood generates a database dependent query, typically a SQL query, but as we're supporting other databases as well, could generate Dynamo queries, etc. And these queries are then sent to the underlying database and the data is returned and then returned into your application code. Got it. And what's the difference between using Prisma and using GraphQL? So these are really two fundamentally different technologies for different use cases. I think a good way to think about it is where in the application stack these technologies sit. So GraphQL is typically used for front-end applications to talk to back-end applications. Whereas Prisma, and specifically the Prisma client, is used for typically your backend application to talk to your database. So they're analogous in this way, but typically mm. sit at different layers of the stack. However, it always depends with newer approaches like the Jamstack, your front-end application can statically, directly talk to your database, making the API server layer obsolete, and you could use Prisma directly for that. But the most common use case is more of like the three-tier architecture where you would use Prisma to talk from your application API server to your database. Got it. And what's the benefit of, or like the companies that you work with that have put Prisma into their backend and they use that as a way to have the backend database access function what improvements does that lead to for their architecture? I'd like to reframe that conversation a little bit in order to talk more about like which problem does it solve. And the problem it solves is, the question here is very related to what problems does a better abstraction layer solve? And I think it solves a couple of problems. One is a problem of productivity, that you could do something in a certain way, but there is a better way to do it because you're more productive building applications and you have more confidence in how you're building it. And so Prisma provides a better abstraction layer on top of your databases for any kind of workflow. And for data access in particular, let's say you're building a modern backend application and where we see a lot of adoption for is particularly in Node.js and particularly in TypeScript. TypeScript just has so much adoption right now. And TypeScript is all about type safety. And it's really, really difficult to bring the schema layer from your database into the type safe environment of your programming language. And this case in particular, Prisma enables by letting Prisma introspect your database schema and generate kind of like a bespoke custom tailored database client library that slots right into your application framework. So that would be one big one. Another one is working with databases is pretty difficult. So it's one thing that you write the right query to get the data back that you need, but then there's also 20 ways to do that. And probably just a few of these ways is actually performant. So making database access performant is another big, big problem that we can optimize in many, many ways. So helping you with the problems called the N plus one query problem, for example, or if you're building, let's say you implement a GraphQL server, 
there's tons of optimizations that you need to do. And all of these things we optimize by having built a custom tailored query engine that sits on top of a database. Another one which we don't yet support, but we are planning to roll out support for a little bit further down the road is in order to support accessing multiple databases at the same time. We see, especially in larger companies, polyglot persistence being more and more common in application architectures. So that your data is fragmented between, let's say, Postgres and Elastic, but your application still wants a more unified way to accessing that data. So that's another use case for Prisma further down the road. In these cases, if I am issuing a query on Prisma in my backend, where is that Prisma query getting interpreted into the native database query? Right. So again, taking a little step back, you would use Prisma not just for data access, but you could use it for many different workflows. So also to migrate your database schema, et cetera. But in the particular case of accessing your database, Prisma supports multiple different database connectors. Each of them are implemented separately through a plugin architecture. So the way how these underlying database queries are generated depends on which database connector you're using. Right now we're supporting Postgres, MySQL, SQLite, we're working on MongoDB, we're working on MS SQL, and over time we want to cover support for any kind of database any kind of data source, really, where you could think of Notion, for example, being a data source. And so once a query gets executed on a Prisma client level, it invokes the Prisma query engine under the hood that right now is running as a separate process, but over time we'll be hosting that directly within the program language via WebAssembly. And that query engine has the responsibility of translating this Prisma client query that's typically expressed through a construct in your program language into the native database queries. And so that typically would be a SQL query in the most common cases. And what's interesting here is that it doesn't just translate one big Prisma query into one big SQL query, but sometimes it's actually more efficient to break up that one big query into multiple smaller SQL queries which is more efficient and scales better. These are patterns that we've seen implemented for companies, for web scale companies that need to scale out their databases. And these are optimizations that we can bake right into the Prisma client. So application developers just have to write the query in a very intuitive and language idiomatic DSL. And under the hood, we make sure that it gets translated into the most optimized database queries, mostly SQL queries. The process of setting up my Prisma schema, like if I want to use Prisma for my application, what's that setup process like? How am I defining that schema translation layer? So I think we can distinguish here in two broader use cases. So one would be a complete greenfield use case so let's say you want to build a completely new app. You're starting from scratch. You're picking all of the pieces of your application and you, for example, decide on Postgres. 
and you want to use Prisma with Postgres and you want to build, let's say, a REST API in Node, what you would do is like you would set up your, your Node project, you would install Prisma as an NPM dependency, and you would then run the Prisma CLI Prisma init. This would set up a file for you, that's the Prisma schema. In that Prisma schema, you say you want to use Postgres, you configure database credentials, and then you start writing in that Prisma schema your database schema. So there's multiple keywords, for example, keyword model, where you can say, I want a model user, I want a model post, and you express your database schema. And then you use the Prisma CLI in order to migrate your database schema. So that makes sure that all the right tables are created. And then also the right Prisma client that just fits your database schema is generated and you start can start making database queries. So that's the greenfield use case. And that's super straightforward. And it gives you the great benefit of you not having to know just the right SQL commands in order to create the right tables. But you can declaratively express your database schema, similar to a nice analogy here is like Prisma is kind of like Terraform, but for a database schema. So you can fully declaratively express your database schema. That's the Greenfield use case. Another very common use case is that you want to maybe refactor some of your applications, or we see it a lot that people have built applications in Rails and they want to move them to, to JavaScript. So they step-by-step -step phase out their Rails backend but they want to keep the database. So this is where they can use Prisma to introspect their existing database schema. So this is one of the workflows that Prisma supports so that instead of you writing your database schema manually, you just tell Prisma, hey, these are my database credentials. And we introspect your database schema, generate the Prisma schema from it, and then generate the Prisma client that matches your existing database schema. And then you can either at some point say, now I actually want Prisma to also take the responsibility of taking care of my database, my schema migrations going forward. Or you say, I want to not change my database schema or maybe Rails keeps changing it. And then you integrate the Prisma introspect workflow into your CI CD system. And that also gives you that full type safety. The actual implementation of Prisma is something I'm curious about. So when a Prisma query is getting executed, I know the first version of Prisma, you had a proxy server that sat on top of a database and handled the incoming queries. And Prisma 2.0 no longer has that Prisma server. Can you explain the architectural changes that you made to Prisma and the benefits to your change to Prisma 2.0? Yeah, so what I've been describing so far is all about Prisma 2. Prisma 1, the predecessor of what's available now, has been more of a bit of an artifact of our historic origins, which actually started out more on a different architectural paradigm of a backend service. And since then, with Prisma, we've been, with Prisma 2, we've been really now focusing on the database toolkit kind of framework approach and so this is where Prisma 1 has still been more of like an artifact. That, that application server and the separate Prisma server has been more of an artifact of the past. And Prisma 2, we've built completely from scratch with the best architecture in mind. And so the Prisma query engine and the Prisma migration engine are all implemented in Rust, which gives us great performance benefits. 
and lets us integrate the Prisma Query Engine, Prisma Migration Engine seamlessly into various programming languages. Right now, we support JavaScript and TypeScript, but we're already experimentally supporting Go as well, and we'll be covering other languages as well. And that's really if a design goal for, for us that we write the tricky part once when it comes to the performance optimizations, etc. And that's all in Rust and that's super battle tested. And then we can just seamlessly integrate that into these client languages, whether that's TypeScript, JavaScript, whether it's Python further down the road. And that these are basically just thin layers around that that are auto generated. And right now, the way how you deploy the Prisma client is just as a JavaScript library that's generated. There's no intermediate server that you need to deploy separately or you need to manage separately. The way how you run migrations is just through a CLI. So you can embed it into your application architecture however you want. What are the engineering challenges that you've encountered in the rewrite of Prisma 2.0 when you, you rewrote it to Rust, right? That's right. Yeah, so what's been challenging about that? So obviously the engineering teams would probably be the better people to, to answer this question. But from what I can tell is that Rust is a fairly complex language where we've been using Scala before and we've been moving it to Rust. Memory management in Rust is notoriously hard. So this was quite a learning curve for everyone involved. And yeah, that was just challenging, but it's been really worth it. And we, we have an immense test coverage. Moving that over has also just like taken a bunch of time. So that's sort of on the Rust layer. But the entire point of Prisma is that we make it as language idiomatic as possible. So also covering all the features that, that are available in TypeScript to give you the best possible experience working in your application language We've been really pushing the limits there, have been using TypeScript features, interacting with the TypeScript team. Sometimes they've been even surprised of like what we enabled and what we made possible there, hit a lot of bugs there. And generally, like we want to go through, through all of the mess in the JavaScript e ecosystem in particular that our users don't have to. So that means like for every possible edge case you could be hitting there, we've already hit it and implemented some smooth path there but that also means that we had like every possible combination of regression bugs in node or yar in different version managers we basically have to this is an incredible broad spectrum of where javascript fatigue that's real and we basically deal with the javascript fatigue and all the edge cases there that our users don't have to and ideally just smooth sailing for them so there's maybe not just this one hard challenge, but 10,000 annoying small challenges that we need to have like proper testing for, et cetera. And that just takes a little while. I'd like to understand more about database migrations and the motivation for Prisma Migrate, which is something that allows you to migrate databases. So what are the potential scenarios that would require using Prisma Migrate? So we touched before on the two kind of main use cases that a user might have, either the Greenfield application, the Greenfield use case, or the Brownfield use case. So you would use Prisma Migrate, particularly in the Greenfield use case, where you don't have a running database set up before, where it's not in the right state, and you want to get it structurally in the right state. And this is the case for both schema full 
and schema-less databases. Even if a database says it's schema-less, then your application basically becomes the schema and you need to deal with schema migrations in your application. And whenever you change something about the way how you store data, there's still structure to that. Then your application server basically becomes a big pile of if-else statements and it becomes a mess. And everyone wants to have that schema basically for your application data. So at the core of these migrations, it's all a schema that expresses the structure. And then migrations is you basically changing your mind of like what that structure should be. And then applying that is incredibly hard, especially incredibly hard if you want to do so with confidence and with in a deterministic way. And there are a lot of, that's a really hard challenge where you want to get every little piece of technology that can help you hold your hand and make sure that you go through that. We've heard a lot of customers perform what they call data surgery when they've messed up a database migration. It's a pretty common on a Friday afternoon. And then they basically just, they wish for better tools and have lots and lots of companies have invested into their own database migration tooling as there's no good integrated tools available. So this is what we're working on with Prisma Migrate where we take that declarative approach, the way how you design your database schema, and we derive and generate the imperative migration steps from that, that you can check into CICD and apply deterministically to your applications in development, to your applications in production. And just to ask naively, why do database migrations happen? Who needs to migrate a database from one place to another? Right. So it's a great question. And I think whoever has built an application has experienced that you've like, you don't know everything up front. There is like this other feature that you want to build. And for that, you realize, oh, I don't have the data for that. I need to store this additional data. Let's say you build a super simple blogging application and you have a title and you have a body for, for each blog post, but then you also want to introduce a subheadline. Then you need to introduce that new field to your database and you need to maybe backfill these for the old items. And so with your changing business requirements, you need to store that data somewhere. And this is what gets translated. The, the vehicle, how you get that out is through database migrations. And for what kinds of workloads is the Prisma migration most well-suited to? Like what kinds of database migration workloads? So database migrations maybe is worth also distinguishing here. D database migrations is a pretty overloaded term. So what we are talking about here is really migrating your existing database schema. We're not talking about migrating data from an Oracle database in a cockroach database. Right. So we're really talking about someone building an application and their requirements change and they want to change the database schema. So in terms of workloads, it's an incredibly wide spectrum, whether you just want to add a little field or whether you add a huge new sub category of your application, you add like 
hundreds of tables. It's completely flexible. It's a pretty similar model as for the Prisma client data access part where Prisma translates a Prisma query into underlying SQL queries. It's the same here for migrations that you express the desired state you want to be in through the Prisma schema. And then the Prisma migration engine translates that into the underlying SQL migration steps or other migration steps that database gets in the right shape. So the mental model here is in the same way as React has the virtual DOM and you can declaratively describe which state your React app should be in. And then React applies all the diffs. This is kind of the same approach here for Prisma or similar to Terraform. I'd like to know more about how large companies are using Prisma and why it's been useful to them, how it fits into their architecture. Do you have any case study examples? Sure. So I think it's pretty analogous to which kinds of applications are built with databases. So databases are used at huge, huge companies and enterprises, but they're also used for your little pet project that you build with, with Rails in a weekend. So we see the entire, the same spectrum of usage within Prisma, whether it's hobbyists building their new side project and they have no time and they want to get more stuff done faster. And so this is where they want to get as much help as they can get and choose Prisma in order to not waste time on the database or whether it's a large enterprise that wants to maybe standardize the way how they build backend applications and how they work with the database or who want to currently go through a digital transformation or want to modernize their backend architecture and want to build new applications on existing databases. So we really see adoptions throughout the entire spectrum of use cases. Do you have any like any particular examples, like any deeper examples for, you know, what's a particular company that's found a lot of value in it? Sure. So I think what I can tell you is companies that have been using Prisma 1. We're just in the transition to Prisma 2. Prisma 2 has now been out in beta for a couple of months. And maybe by the time this show airs, Prisma 2 is already available in GA. We see a lot of adoption for the Prisma 2 beta already, and even for larger companies using it in production. I'm not sure what I can tell the names of these companies. What we have, uh, what I can tell you more about is companies who've been using Prisma 1 production, which is addresses the same use cases. So this is where we had companies like Adidas or Splunk, like a couple larger companies really using Prisma in production. And we see just a lot more appetite and a lot more adoption already trending up for Prisma 2. So I'm pretty sure we'll be able to tell you a couple of really big names in the coming months. And we're also planning a user conference a little bit further down the road where we also want to showcase more. I assume this is a virtual user conference. That's right. (laughs) It's worth asking you, you're now an entirely remote company. What has been the transition like for you, the process of going from a company with an actual office to becoming fully remote? Yeah, that's a really great topic as well. So we started out with a company roughly four years ago, all in Berlin. We had a pretty small, cozy office where we'd just been a handful of people back then. 
And over time, we grew. We've right now just surpassed 30 people. And at some point, we, we also realized, okay, we will serve a global customer audience and we need to be close to our, to our customers, but we also need to hire the talent where the best talent is located. And in some cases, the best talent has been in Canada or France or the US or elsewhere. And so we started out with a couple of separate functions we thought initially are more self-contained, let's say, and started testing the waters there to expanding beyond just a single office in Berlin to also supporting remote. And so as we then also went more into executive hiring as well, we also realized, okay, we need to hire the best possible people and the best possible people might live somewhere in Kentucky. They might live somewhere in the UK. They might live all around the world. So this is where we went beyond just the more self-contained functions to saying, this is now what we're doing as a company. And this is what we've been basically starting this journey roughly nine months ago and have before Corona actually became a thing, I think been on the way to becoming not just a remote friendly, but a remote first company. And then this is already the trajectory you've been on. And then as the Corona pandemic unfolded more and more, it has forced us on that trajectory even, even more. And in that regard, it didn't really catch us all that much by, by surprise in terms of flipping the way how the company operates, but it basically just accelerated that transition and been pretty smooth. And I think maybe not everyone's favorite setup to work remotely, but I've heard from many employees that they've been more productive since they can remember and they're having a really great time and I think has worked incredibly well for us so far. Revisiting the usage of Prisma, we had a show recently with Tom from Redwood JS, Tom Preston Warner, and the Redwood JS platform, well, I guess you would call it a framework for deploying Jamstack applications. Can you explain how Redwood JS uses Prisma and how Prisma fits into the burgeoning vision for Jamstack? Sure, that's a great topic. So our overall goal at Prisma is to help application developers build better applications. And the way how we help them in particular is by working better with databases. But Redwood and many other application frameworks are as in line with our vision as what we are working on ourselves. And this is where we feel almost like a B2B vendor for these application frameworks, giving them great tools that they can build even better frameworks for their users. So we almost think in terms of our user base as one, our direct users who architecturally want to use directly Prisma and they want to more assemble their each part of their stack. And then there are users and application developers who might want more everything out, out of box in one big framework, similar to what Ruby and Rails has been. And this is what, what Redwood is working on. And for them, we're basically giving them one building block 
that takes care of all the database workflows. And I think it's a really good analogy is here if you think of Redwood as Ruby on Rails, then Prisma fits in there as like kind of like an active record equivalent. And so this is where we're helping the Redwood framework with their use cases, but there's also plenty of other frameworks. There's a new JavaScript framework called Blitz that works on top of Next.js. There are other, for example, GraphQL frameworks. So we really want to help all of these application frameworks to work better with databases and are giving them Prisma basically a building block to build a better framework. To come back to the internals, I think type safety is something that's worth focusing on here. Can you explain how type safety is relevant to Prisma and where, like, you know, type safety can exist at, at all different areas of the stack. I guess it, you know, is most important when you're, well, I mean, it has, has a lot of applications, but explain where type safety fits into Prisma and what value it provides. So I'm a huge, huge fan of anything type safety. I was a huge fan of Swift, Rust, Haskell, anything that gives you a powerful type system, just because it gives you more confidence, it powers tools that make you more productive, and has basically no downsides besides maybe a slight overhead in terms of build speed, but you can sort of neglect that in a modern environment. But it's really hard to provide great type safety for your application development and experience. Since type safety, you can't really retrofit type safety for all use cases, in particular for databases. These tools have to be designed for type safety from the ground up, which is what we've done with Prisma. We've designed every API in order so that it can be fully type safe. Since there are so many moving pieces, your, your database is by definition decoupled from your application and it therefore can drift apart. Your database schema might change, but your application might not have yet caught up with that change. So you want to have some tangible way of seeing like, hey, is this in sync? Does this work together? And by allowing you to introspect your database schema, derive an artifact that now, where now the compiler gives you that confidence and tells you like, hey, that works or it doesn't work. That's absolutely huge, especially if you're building microservices and you don't just have that problem once, but you have thousands of microservices. You want to get every little bit of type safety you can get. And so this has been really a core, core part of what we've been building. And it doesn't just give you that confidence, but it also powers like every part of the tooling that developers love, whether it's the VS Code TypeScript integration, it's just top-notch. All of the auto-completion, red squiggly lines, etc. All of that is powered through type safety. It makes just, even for the, the, the funny asymmetry almost in here, that there's tons of developers who don't even know that this is type safety or TypeScript. They just know, I want better auto-completion. I want these red squiggly lines. But all of that is powered through that type safety. And this is where everything is based on us. Tell me more about the problems in backend access that you would like to address with Prisma and I guess with your company in the future. That's a great question. And I think that this is, makes room for is maybe a nice segue for future shows as well, since there's it's basically unbounded in that regard. 
that there's so many use cases for databases and so many problems developers have with databases. To give you a couple ambitious ones, for example, if you're working with multiple databases and you have some sort of replication system set up where you want to synchronize data from one to another, for example, in order to implement read-write models, that's a workflow and a use case that we want to facilitate further. I talked about the distinction between database schema migrations and database migrations in terms of moving from one database to another. That's another one we see ourselves addressing in the future. Then also in regards to polyglot systems is something that we're laying out the foundation for. So there will be always more than we can handle and we wanna see what does the market most urgently need? What do our users most urgently need? And we build everything in a modular way that the ecosystem, there's already an ecosystem growing around Prisma where developers step in and build ecosystem tools for things that we haven't covered yet, which is also really great to see. So yeah, and for, for now, we really want to focus on the data access, the schema migration part, and then all the workflows around that. And what are the business opportunities there? Like, do you have any vision for, you know, what you might be able to structure a business around? So right now we're a venture funded company. We've two years ago raised a seed round. There's yet unannounced follow-up round to that, which we gonna announce at some point this year, but now it's been spoiled through this. Uh So (laughs) we've been, we are right now fully focused on building the open source foundation of Prisma. Prisma will always be open source, the foundation. But this gives us a broad adoption base of users who want to buy an additional commercial complementary product. This might be delivered as a cloud product, might be delivered as an on-prem product, and might be supplemented through the services offering as well. And we are very inspired there through Hashi's philosophy, where they separate their open source offering, their commercial offering, by everything's open source and free that solves technical complexity and everything that solves organizational complexity is commercial. So we see a very good analogy here and where we see Prisma offering a commercial solution is as what we think of calling an application data platform. So as opposed to a data platform for data analysts, more of a platform for application developers that gives them all the workflows integrate, like running these applications in production. What does CICD for databases look like? What does collaboration look like? What you want to have a schema registry for all of your microservices that each have their own databases. And this is where we see a lot of these systems being built at larger companies, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, but they're not open source. They're so monolithic and like integral to their application architecture. But we want to take these ideas and make them accessible to everyone as a commercial product as well. Very cool. Well, do you have any other closing thoughts on the space that you're building in? You know, subjects that have come up recently that you're thinking about in just the landscape of data access. Yeah, I think the landscape is is really what gets me so excited on a day-to-day basis. Since I mentioned the term JavaScript fatigue before, This means basically, that's a negative side of it. There's constantly something new, but there's so much innovation going on and so many new technologies 
and so much drive in that ecosystem, whether it's new database vendors like Fauna or Cockroach, or whether it's new application frameworks like Redwood or Blitz. And we're basically fit right in in the center of all of this, where we basically want to be similar to how React is just the foundation of an ecosystem. And like if it works with React, then you're like good to adopt these, this library. And we're seeing Prisma on a similar trajectory where Prisma has just becomes the default way how developers think of working with a database. And this enables this amazing ecosystem that we see flourishing. So whether it's like the show you've done with Tom Preston Warner on Redwood or other frameworks in the future, you've done one on, on Next.js, which we're also integrating deeply with. So this is for me the, the most exciting thing, how all the pieces fit together like Lego bricks. Johannes, thank you for coming on the show. It's been great talking. Thanks so much, Jeff. 